Greetings and welcome back to Mind Redefined, Lifting the Stigma Around Mental Health. My name is Scott Swanstrom. I am your host. And today's episode is in regards to domestic violence, Hubbard House, and mental health awareness. And our special guest today is Dr. Gail Patton. She is the CEO of Hubbard House Incorporated, the certified domestic violence center serving Duval and Baker counties in Florida. Prior to assuming this role, Dr. Patton served in Hubbard House leadership roles for nearly 20 years, including 14 years as Chief Operating Officer, and from 2004 to 2006 as the CEO of Harbor House, the Orlando Domestic Violence Center. Dr. Patton has a doctorate degree from the University of North Florida and a Master of Social Work from the University of South Carolina. Additionally, she has participated in postgraduate social work training through Florida State University and is a licensed clinical social worker. Dr. Patton, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited about our conversation today. We get to put a spotlight on Hubbard House. We get to talk a little bit about the referral process, the screening process, as well as recovery and treatment methods that are used for those who are escaping domestic violence situations. But before we get started, what is one thing you are celebrating today? Well, what I'm celebrating today is I am near to finishing a quilt for my grandnephew. I am not a sewer. I picked it up during the pandemic to give me something to do since I was staying home so much. And so I've literally been self-teaching myself through reading books and watching YouTube and listening to people. And so this little... <laughs> This little quilt, which would have probably taken an expert, you know, a day or two to do, has taken me a number of months. So I'm celebrating that I am seeing the end of this quilt and I'll be able to pack it up and ship it off to him in Seattle. Wow. There's a light at the end of the tunnel and you've added a new tool to your tool belt. The big question is, Dr. Patton, are there going to be more? Yes, actually, I have found this really cool website that I like to look at and she doesn't do quilting the way you may think where you have to cut, you know, exact squares and piece them together where it's all matchy matchy. She just takes designs and does it how she likes it. And I like that. I like that. I like not having to be so precise. So I am, I'm looking forward to doing more. It's very relaxing. And then somebody gets something at the end of the day, they get some kind of product. I love that. It really generates creativity and a lot of freedom mm -hmm. there. I'm jealous. That's pretty cool. <laughs> I, I've always admired those who've been able to work with their hands in that capacity, especially with sewing. Well, I'm really excited about our conversation today and the fact that we get to give a spotlight to Hubbard House. And before we get going too far into it, I want to set the stage first. What is important for people to understand about domestic violence? It's important for people who are victims to understand that it is not their fault. No way, no how. A lot of people will say, well, what did you do to antagonize your partner? Why didn't you do this? Why didn't you leave? Those are all blaming, victim-blaming statements. And I want survivors to know that it is not your fault. I want the children who live in these homes to know it is not your fault and that there is help available. Those are two things that people really need to understand. They aren't alone. It's not their fault. And we're here for them. So. In regards to Hubbard House, what kind of services are offered to survivors? 
A lot of people, when they hear the word Hubbard House, they think we're just a house where people come to live. And that is how we started. Actually, 45 years ago, we started as the first shelter in Florida in the 13th in the Southeast. And we started with a very small shelter where people who are in most lethality, most danger were coming to get help. Since then, we've, of course, expanded our services to include a lot of wraparound services. We have the shelter, which still remains our primary place where people come when they're fleeing domestic violence. But even coming into the shelter, they have many options. They can receive advocacy, case management, counseling for themselves and their children, job coaching, housing assistance, education in general, and of course, safety planning with how to manage their life. Then we have all those same services outside of the shelter. We have an outreach center, which is co-located next to our thrift store. And you heard me talk about my quilt. Well, I'm quilting on a machine I bought at the thrift store. And so people can go to our thrift store. It serves a couple purposes. One, all the profits go to keep our outreach center open, which is located right there with it. And then also we give vouchers to our clients to be able to go to the thrift store and pick up clothes and other household items that they need when they're going out on their own or when they come into shelter and they've just literally ran with the clothes on their back and they don't have anything else. They can go there and get those clothes for free. So at the outreach center, what people can be involved with is the same things. We do lethality assessment. How lethal is your situation? Sometimes people come into our outreach center and after staff talk with them, they realize their situation is pretty lethal and will offer shelter to them. Now, it's their choice whether they want to take shelter or not, but we also safety plan with them. We get them connected with other resources in the community as is applicable And we also provide the same housing assistant and coaching for job and getting different things ready. And then we also have, which a lot of people don't know, we have an opportunity if somebody is coming into shelter and they have pets and they don't want to leave their pets at home, because if they do, there is a really increased likelihood that the abuser will terrorize or abuse that pet if they're left home. So now we have local partnerships where we can find temporary boarding and shelter for survivors' pets. So when they come into shelter, the pets will have a safe place to go. And they help them get caught up on any medical needs that the pets may have. And so that's something people just don't think about, but Mm -hmm. we do that as well. And then we have attorneys who are located at the courthouse who help survivors get injunction for protections, which is sometimes called a restraining order. It's something that we do free of charge to victims of domestic violence. And we have advocates who are co-located with the Department of Children and Family. And what we do there is we really are a resource to investigators to help them understand better the different dilemmas that survivors are facing when they're involved with Department of Children and Family. So we take their referrals as well as providing services, but we also coach people in the Department of Children and Family, the frontline staff who are going out there investigating the cases to talk about and to recognize all the amazing things the survivors are doing to keep their children safe. And we know it because we work so closely with survivors. And then we also have an office out in Baker County where we provide all of these services as well. And we cover both Baker and Duval County. Okay. 
So how do you decide if someone needs emergency shelter? I, I know we mentioned uh, an assessment for lethality and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Can you dive a little bit deeper into that process? Absolutely. When we're talking to somebody, we do a lethality assessment, which is part of our safety planning. We look at things like, has the person ever threatened to kill you or the kids or kill you, the kids and themselves? When they say that, that really increases lethality. Are there weapons available? So weapons may be guns, but they also may be knives. They may be cars. There are just different things that abusers have used historically in the home as weapons. And then we ask, how afraid are you? What's going on? Has he made the statement, if I can't have you, nobody else will? Because that is a huge red flag. Are you being isolated more and more from any support systems? What made you call us today? Because usually there's something behind that story that points towards lethality. So we look at all of those different factors and talk with the person and really run through what their options are. And the one thing we do very purposely, because it's part of providing services to people who've experienced trauma, and of course, survivors of domestic violence have experienced trauma, is we know that the tenants for trauma-informed care are focusing on safety, focusing on empowerment and choice. And those are two of our mission statements, is we provide empowerment, safety, and social change. So we may be talking with somebody that we think, wow, this is really lethal, but they just don't want to come into shelter. We're not going to make them come into shelter. We're going to talk about why we think it's dangerous for them, brainstorm with them about how they can stay safe, and encourage them to keep our number handy in a place that the abuser can't find it so that they can call, or if they're in immediate danger at some point, to call 911 because law enforcement can get them to shelter as well. So it's really looking at the totality of the picture. One example I'll tell you is we used to have this person, she would call our hotline and she kept saying, I'm not being abused. He's not abusing me. He's not threatening me. And so she never wanted to come into shelter, but staff felt there's a lot that people don't tell you by what they do tell you. And so finally, after she called a couple of times, staff had developed that rapport with her. They found out that every day when he came home from work, he would sit down at the dinner table, make her sit there with him, and he would clean his guns every day, clean his guns and make her there. And then take a gun, not with ammunition in it, but take a gun and point it to her head and say, if you ever leave me, this is what will happen to you. That is definitely a threat. That is definitely falls within the laws of domestic violence. And it was definitely very lethal. And as staff walked her through what that looks like, she opened up and revealed more and more. And she did come into shelter because that situation was really, really dangerous. So it's just working one-on-one and looking at the individual and their particular story that they're telling us. So if someone thinks they need emergency shelter, what would be the first step they would do? They should find a safe place and call us on our hotline, which is 904-354-3114. And they'll get linked up with a hotline counselor who can talk to them about what's going on. Now, we still know that sometimes calling, because some people are still in isolation and quarantining because of COVID, that calling may not be the safest thing because the person might be on 
in the next room and hear the conversation. So during the beginning of the quarantine, we developed a text line, and that is 904-210-3698. So they can also text for help. If they want to know more and can look at the internet safely, they can go to hubbardhouse.org, which also gives a lot of information. Just be aware, though, that delete your browsing history and everything so that can't be pulled up by the abuser. And we tell people if they're able to use the computer at a friend's house or work or go to the library, that's even safer because you have to think abusers are always trying to figure out what's going on with victims. And so when you're using technology, just make sure you're erasing what you need to erase so it doesn't pop up and then he finds out what you're doing. That power and control really play right. a role in that. So if someone is unsure about their relationship, and I know you shared a story from someone in particular that might have been in that balance. If someone is unsure about their relationship but isn't ready to leave, what should they do? They can do a couple of things. They can call our hotline and just be real honest. And even at that point, you don't even need to give us your real name on the hotline and just say, you know, I'm unsure about my relationship. This is what's going on. I was just wondering, have you seen something like this? Because oftentimes people feel like they're the only one in these situations. So they could do that or they could walk in at our outreach center. Our outreach center has business hour walk-ins. You don't need to make an appointment. You can walk in, ask to speak to a staff member and just say the same thing. Just say, hey, I don't know what's going on. I'm a little confused about my relationship. And the great thing about showing up at the outreach center, as I said, it's co-located next to our thrift store. So if inadvertently the abuser or somebody in the family drove by and said, hey, I saw Susie at Hubbard House. Susie could say, yeah, I was there. I was at the thrift store shopping. It was a great, great deals. And and they do have great deals. So it gives a cover, so to speak, for people who are going to the outreach center if they want to go see somebody in person, but are worried about somebody seeing their car. Would they be able to get connected to you through another social service organization or private counselor they may be working with? They can. We have a lot of collaborations in the community where people are referred to us. Typically, what we ask, we have referral sources with all of the major agencies in town, other nonprofits who are providing services to families. And they may call us and say, hey, I have somebody that I would like to talk to you about. They can talk to us about them. But at the end of the day, we will really need for that survivor to call us themselves. And so really making space at that referral sources office where a person can speak privately and confidentially will be great. And I will say to people, so like a private counselor or another agency, and they're wanting you know this person to come into Hubbard House, if you allow them to make that call from your space, it would be beneficial for you to leave the room. And here's a couple reasons why. Oftentimes, as service providers, you know, we really want this person to leave. We really want this person to get help. And they may not be ready, but they don't want to tell you that because they don't want to disappoint you or they think if they they tell you they don't want to do what you want them to do, maybe you won't still continue to provide services for them. These are things that go in survivor's mind or you'll think less of them. And so 
If they can call and talk privately, they may feel less pressure to say what they think the professional wants them to say. But just to also give another caveat, because this happens oftentimes when we have talked to a survivor on the phone and they just don't want to come in. That's not where they are yet. So we do safety planning and we give them options and we tell them, keep our number. You know, you may want to come in at time. Then they hang up the phone. Then they talk to the person who helped them make that call. And they said, oh, no, I'm I'm not allowed to come in because I don't have a police report. Or, oh, no, I'm not allowed to come in because they're full. That's not necessarily true. They're just not at the point to tell that referring person, I'm just not ready to come in yet. So just understand that survivors have developed some amazing coping strategies over the years. And part of our Working with survivors, one of our biggest things that we do is to allow empowerment for them to make their decisions and to give them as much information as possible for them to make decisions and then step back and support them in those decisions, even if they aren't decisions we would make for them. You think about it, survivors have not been able to make the decisions themselves if they're living in an abusive relationship. So they need to have that space to make those decisions and know that we're here, even if those decisions they make don't turn out the way that they want them to turn out, that we're still here. You can keep calling us, keep calling us. That empowerment is so essential. I can only imagine the challenge that might arise in working with someone who has experienced trauma or is surviving Mm -hmm. trauma. How does Hubbard House incorporate trauma-informed care into your work? Well, we certainly understand that victims of domestic violence and their children have experienced and or witnessed domestic violence. And so all of the things that happen within a person's brain when they've experienced trauma and for victims of domestic violence, it's typically not trauma that's one and done and then they're good to go. It is ongoing trauma. And we do from living in an abusive home. And then we also find a lot of the people who are coming in as adults that they've also experienced trauma in their childhood as well that they have never worked through or the new trauma sets off the old trauma. So we recognize, first of all, that they're dealing with trauma and that safety is the number one issue. So when they come into shelter or when they go into outreach, we try to do everything to make them feel as safe as possible from how our building is set up to how we engage with people. And then, like I said earlier, empowerment, that you have been robbed of your choices when you've experienced trauma, no matter what kind of trauma is. Trauma as it is, no matter what kind it is, means that you have not had a choice over something. And so part of it is to give back choice. So we work with survivors on that. When they come into shelter, there is nothing they have to do. They can come here and say, I just need downtime because I just went through a really rough abuse with my survivor. I mean, with my partner, and I don't know what I'm going to do. I just need to recover physically and get my head on straight. Mm -hmm. Okay. We have all these programs that you can make use of, but if that's all that you want to do, we're here to let you do that. We want you to make that choice. We want you to know what's going on with you. So taking those precepts of trauma-informed care, of safety and empowerment, and creating an environment that supports that is really the key to the work that we do. I love that empowerment-based approach and really giving them some say and, and really flexing that muscle maybe that mm-hmm. they haven't used in a while. 
regards to that decision-making capacity. So what are some of the core principles that Hubbard House incorporates into your work with survivors? Well, it's those core principles that we find with trauma, safety, empowerment, letting people have a whole lot of opportunity to engage in different things and creating access for that. And one of the positive things that came out of COVID, before COVID, we weren't doing Zoom interaction with clients. It just wasn't something we were doing. And once, you know, we pivoted just like everybody else did during COVID, we found out, and of course, we, I wish we had known this beforehand, we found out that there were more people engaging with us for some people because of transportation issues, dragging kids around with them. Talking to us on their phone during break at work was so much easier than jumping in a car and going to our outreach center. So even when we're all back to whatever our new normal is going to be because of COVID, we are keeping this option because it creates greater access. And that is one of our core principles in addition to safety and empowerment is making sure we find as many ways as possible to create access for as many different people as possible coming through our doors. So we were talking a little bit before we started our interview today and mentioned that Mind Redefined has had touch points in 11 countries and we're starting to really cast a really wide net, especially in the U.S. from coast to coast. So we know there's a lot of different listeners and maybe they're providers, maybe they're professionals who assist those who work with individuals who are surviving domestic violence. Maybe they are a survivor themselves. So if there is one thing you want someone listening today to take away, what would that be? There are so many things. I don't know if I could do one, but I would want the survivor to know and friends and family of the survivor to know that there is help. And it may take more than one time for the survivor to step forward and be comfortable with the help that's offered. And So I would encourage any friends, family, providers that are working with a survivor to please be patient, to please understand that you're asking somebody when you're telling them, you just need to leave, it'll be better, that you're asking them to change their entire life. And for you to understand that that can be the most dangerous time for a survivor is when they leave that relationship. So a lot of safety planning needs to go on when the survivor is ready to do that. So just understand that a person sometimes takes several little steps until they get to a bigger step. There is an author by the name of Connie Mae Fowler, and she wrote the book Before Women Had Wings, and it was really old now, but Oprah had created it into a movie. But I had the good fortune of listening to her speak one time, and she was a survivor of domestic violence, and she made a statement that I will never forget. She says, it may look like I'm staying, but I'm in the process of leaving because getting out of an abusive relationship is a process. It's just not as easy as walking out the door because the abuser often follows and survivors run into a lot of barriers when they leave. And there's a lot of emotional attachment to an abuser. So just to be there, no matter what that looks like and to support them and to not blame them for the abuse that they're in. So if someone wants to learn more about Hubbard House, where can they turn? Where would you direct them? 
they want to know about us more in general, they can go to hubbardhouse.org. We have a great website that talks about not only the different dynamics of domestic violence and how you can get help, but it talks about how you can volunteer, how you can donate, talks about any events we have coming up, and talks a little bit about our history. So that's a really good place to go. If you're a survivor, do it only if you're safe or clear your, your history out. I always like to say that because I don't want somebody looking at our website be something that might initiate violence. Dr. Gail Patton, thank you so much for pushing back the darkness. You and Hubbard House are doing an amazing work, and I really appreciate you coming on the show today. Thank you again, and we look forward to having you back. Thank you. Appreciate it.